It's Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 559. Welcome back. I'm Rob Walling. This week, I speak with Andrew Gazdecki. He's the founder of MicroAcquire. Talk a lot about bootstrapping a two-sided marketplace in a competitive industry. And Andrew talks about the future plans for MicroAcquire. I didn't know much about Andrew before chatting with him today, but it turns out that he grew a SaaS app, it essentially bootstrapped it. He raised only $100,000 and he grew it to $10 million in annual recurring revenue. It's an app called Business Apps, B-I-Z-N-E-S-S, apps.com, started building it in college, sold it in 2018. And he described it to me as Weebly or Wix for mobile apps. And it's still operating and, and serving customers, but pretty impressed with that as a background. That gives some credibility for someone you know, to be able to, to build an app to that level and then exit. And we don't spend too much time talking about that part of the story. We focus on MicroAcquire, which is a website that helps match buyers and sellers of smaller software and e-commerce startups. And you'll hear a, a little bit of that story of, of him thinking of and then launching MicroAcquire and then bootstrapping that two-sided marketplace, right? Getting both sides of the marketplace and thinking about, you know, what is the value that he's trying to offer that's different than all the other offerings already available on the markets to help smaller, early stage, mostly bootstrapped founders exit their businesses. But before we dive into our conversation, I wanted to let you know that applications for our next batch of Tiny Seed open up on August 9th. If you're interested in joining our fall 2021 batch, It'll be between 15 and 20 ambitious B2B SaaS companies. Head over to tinyseed.com, enter your email if you're looking for a bit of funding, a lot of mentorship, a lot of guidance, and what has become a, an amazing community of SaaS founders helping one another out. tinyseed.com, enter your email to hear about that once applications are open. And one other topic to cover before we dive into the show, I got a really thoughtful email that I wanted to share on the show. And it's about my episode, two episodes ago, Investing for Founders, where I talked about how to save for retirement, thinking through index funds. And this email is from Matt Paulson. He's the founder of MarketBeat, which is a very large and successful financial tracking website. It, you can track stocks, you can you can do all types of stuff. You can check it out if you're interested. And so I, I take Matt's recommendations and thoughts on financial stuff, especially the stock market, very highly because he he is knee deep in it and has been for, I don't know, the better part of a decade. So I'm going to read just some brief excerpt from this, which, you know, I, again, I really appreciate and take with a, a lot of weight. He says, Hey Rob, I just finished listening to the latest startups for the rest of us podcast. I wanted to pass along a couple of notes that I've had good luck with that weren't explicitly mentioned in the show. Maybe you've thought about these things already, but I wanted to share them in case any of it is new information. Number one, you mentioned you have some money sitting around in traditional IRAs. Have you considered paying taxes now and doing a conversion to a Roth? If you do the conversion, you have the ability to do a backdoor Roth IRA, which allows you to do annual contributions to an IRA, even though you and Sherry are probably over the income limits. And it's, you know, this is more advanced. This is next level stuff, right? And in investing for founders, I was trying to do just the 101 basics, but backdoor Roth IRAs, you should Google them if you don't know about it. If your CPA tells you you're over income limits, absolutely. Talk to them about doing a backdoor Roth. It is something that I've been aware of for, for several years. And it's certainly beneficial to those people making more than the income limits for Roth IRA contributions. Number two, if you're running payroll for yourself through an entity, you can contribute around $57,000 per year tax deferred through a 401k plan. And this is great. Solo 401ks are 
amazing for getting a lot more money in than just the whatever it is, five or six thousand dollars you can put into an IRA. There's also there's this is all US, but there's simple IRAs, there's SEP IRAs, which are business oriented, and then there's 401ks, which I believe allows you to maximize it. So as long as you have a provider who can take up, you know, the burden off of you of, of running and operating that, if you are running payroll for yourself and you want to get more money tax advantaged or tax sheltered in this case, which it's a first world problem, but it becomes a problem the further into your career you get and you start getting returns on things, whether you've done real estate investments, whether you've invested in your own startups, whether you've invested in other people's startups, you get a big influx of cash and now you have something that it's going to grow and you're just going to be eaten up by the taxes on it. And so getting it into these, you know, government sanctioned, I mean, this is all within the rules of everything is something to really be thinking about. Point number three, health savings accounts. You can stick to 7,200 per year in an HSA for your family. You have to be on a specific type of health plan that allows, it's a high deductible plan, allows an HSA, but you got to look into that depending on your state and your plan and all that stuff. But yes, I had known about, I actually know about all three of these things, but I really, these are more advanced next level approaches to getting more stuff tax advantaged. And I appreciated Matt writing in. To wrap up his email, he says, I also wanted to let you know that you are right on A, most people doing Vanguard index funds for most people's exposure to the market, B, doing term life insurance, and C, dollar cost averaging into crypto. Great advice there. So thank you so much, Matt, for weighing in. This is what I love about this community. This startup for the rest of us, MicroConf, there's a lot of smart people and a lot of smart people with very niche focus and very deep expertise in these different areas. And so if you hear an episode of Startups for the Rest of Us and you feel like you know this is an area that you'd want to weigh in on, please always feel free to reach out. Questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with Andrew Gazdecki and his experience building and growing micro acquire over the last 18 months. Andrew Gazdecki, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks so, so much for having me on the show, Rob. I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. So folks heard in your intro that, you know, you basically mostly bootstrapped business apps to 10 million ARR. You raised only $100,000. Why did you decide to sell it? Was it was it 3 years ago, 2018? Yeah, so I get like Facebook updates. And like, obviously I announced that I saw my friends on Facebook and family. So it was three years ago in May. The reason is clear. I was tired. So the story behind that startup, I started it in college, zero experience. I'm not technical. I didn't have it. My previous job was at Sears, got fired from a graphic design job before that. And I had just ran the business for such a long period and Candidly, just got an offer that was hard to refuse. And, you know, when you raise capital, even though it's 100000 you still have a fiduciary duty to your investors. And so it was a win for my team. It was a win for my investors and a win for me personally and also the customers at Business Apps. If you go to businessapps.com, it's still up. You can still make apps. Really like the firm. So short version is I, I was exhausted. Like, you know, they say a year in a startup is like eight, in, like cat years. So being, I sold it when I was 29 and I wanted to move on to something new. I wanted to do another startup, but yeah, I was, I was tired and I felt I took the startup as far as I could take it. And I didn't have any plans to hand it down to my children or anything like that. So candidly, the business was built with getting acquired in mind. And when that opportunity came, I mean, that happened. That's great. And that kind of gives you the luxury after having that first exit of being able to start 
crazy ambitious, not that business apps wasn't ambitious, but crazy ambitious offerings like micro acquire, which is, you know, I think what, what I want to dig into a lot today. When did you launch micro acquire? And actually, before we do that, can you tell folks what it is in your words? Yeah. So micro acquire is a marketplace to help founders get acquired. So if you're a startup founder, you can list your company on MicroQuire completely free. There's no commissions, there's no fees, there's no exclusivity. And we allow founders to connect directly with buyers. And really the idea behind it was based on my situation with business apps, where there was times where I just wanted to potentially sell the company. I was exhausted. Meeting buyers, especially when you have a smaller business, can be you know, not as easy when you're, when you get to, you know, high revenue marks, PE firms and other strategic acquirers reach out. But for smaller businesses, that's not the case. So I saw a large opportunity to help entrepreneurs get acquired and that's what we do. So short version, it's a marketplace to buy and sell startups. And what year did you start it? So I had the idea for it maybe like two years ago. I officially launched it January, 2020 on Product Hunt. Right before COVID. Yeah, right before COVID. And actually, um, a lot of people don't know this, but I hear a lot of excuses from people about like how hard it is to start a company, especially if you have like a job, if you got a family, blah, blah, blah. I became a dad in October. I have a wonderful son uh, coming up on two years. So I just became a dad. He also had colic too. So if you have a kid with colic. That's tough. Yeah. So I wasn't, wasn't sleeping. I was also CRO at a company called Spiff, where I was leading their sales and marketing team. Because so I just sold my second company, Allcoin, and I was in like the top 100 Madden players. And I was like, this is super unhealthy. I need something to do. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a CEO again. So I was looking for a number two role. So took over their sales and marketing team. They had raised about $6 million. Revenue was around zero when I joined. Helped them grow to about Two million in annual recurring revenue, and then they secured a fifteen million Series A from Northwest Venture Partners. And then at that point, so I was running MicroQuire in the background the whole time. Like, just became a dad, was managing a sales team, and also taking over marketing because no one was um, handling that. And running MicroQuire completely on the side for free, just because I loved it. I thought it was. I love startups. I love helping entrepreneurs. And then once the Series A was closed, I felt my job's done. I helped find a replacement for myself. And then I started focusing on my career full time. Got it. And well, I guess I'll ask one question. You said you, you know, you focus on smaller, helping smaller companies, founders of smaller companies. So what do you think of as your sweet spot? I'm presuming there's a revenue range that where microquire is, you know, perhaps ideal in your mind. So the largest transaction, to my knowledge, is about over $5 million. There's definitely buyers in there that can transact in the hundreds of millions for sure. It just depends on the business. We see a lot of businesses that range from low seven figures, profitable, mid six figures, profitable. That's kind of the sweet spot. But over time, we want to move up to serve larger businesses with other third-party services that you kind of need when you're selling a larger business. So right now, six to seven figure revenue mark is kind of where our sweet spot is. Mostly bootstrap, profitable companies, lots of really cool niches like marketing automation platform for dentists that's making like a million a year. Like I love seeing those businesses, but that's, that's where we are now. But, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to be looked to be going up market to two, five, 10, potentially 20 million revenue companies. 
Got it. That's interesting. I would have thought the range would be lower because I, I feel like that six to seven figure, low seven figure range is covered well by you know a lot of the brokers in this space. I guess, how do you see yourselves as being different from them? So what we're doing at MicroQuire is we're consolidating the industry. So we want to work with brokers. So there's always going to be a free option to sell on MicroQuire as a startup founder. You can list your startup. We'll get it listed in minutes. That work that a broker does typically takes like three months. We get you up and live on MicroQuire and introduced to buyers within a day. And so we're building out options where think of it as like an Upwork style directory where you can hire proper legal counsel, you can hire M&A advisor, you can hire business broker. So we're going to be aggregating the entire industry into one single marketplace. So rather than just being one boutique brokerage firm, we're bringing in all the best M&A advisors, all the best business brokers that specifically focus on SaaS or e-commerce or direct-to-consumer mobile apps or crypto or whatever your business may be. So that's kind of the plan. And that makes sense for businesses. If you're going through, let's say, a life-changing acquisition or you have no idea how to sell, like you don't want to sell. And that's really the main benefit of working with a broker is you don't have to handle everything. They kind of you know, run the process for you. We're going to have the ability for you to hire those people, but at a much lower rate than you typically would at a regular brokerage firm. Yeah, because that was that was going to be my question is, as you go up market, I mean, even in a multi-million dollar sale, oftentimes the seller needs a substantial amount of hand-holding. Maybe their books are in bad shape or maybe they just need the, uh, I don't know, there's that moral support or they're kind of freaking out and you know they don't want to sell or they don't like the terms and they kind of try to rage quit the thing. It's like, I've seen the, you know, brokers aren't just matching buyers and sellers. Brokers are, they, they offer additional service beyond that, you know, the handholding aspect. And is, is that what you're saying? Is that longer term, you think that you will have basically a marketplace of brokers to help people with the, it's a higher touch sale, you know, as soon as you get into a few million or if you do like a $20 million sale, I mean, there's definitely high touch on both sides. I've seen and heard of MBAs sitting there taking, you know, weeks to put together financials and arguing with the consultant on the other side who says, oh, these financials are and you're wrong and they're auditing them and this and that, right? That's at that dollar amount that becomes a, an issue. Yeah. So, I mean, when I, when I sold business apps, this would probably be a good use case. I had light advice from a friend that was an investment banker. I'd ask him questions like, is this normal for due diligence? He'd say no or yes. I'd say, should I send this email? He'd say, no, go to bed. Like, you know, it's a, it's an emotional process, especially if it's going to potentially change your life. And so we're going to be building a directory that not only provides, you know, services that an M&A advisor would provide or a broker would provide, but also due diligence or even wealth planning. Like after you sell your company, like for me at Business Apps, my law firm was referred to me by an angel investor. I just said, okay, cool, we use them. The guidance that I got from the investment banker, and he did it free just as a friend, which was super helpful. Like you just, you know, address the mental, emotional part of it because, you know, you want this deal to close. And, you know, sometimes like we had a couple false starts. So we had circled closing dates and then they needed a little bit more information so it, it can be a roller coaster. And if you're selling a business for you know more than $10, 5000000 million, it makes sense to get some help. And so when you go to broker websites, you know, you see typically the same thing. It's like, hey, we got a 95% success rate, blah, blah, blah. But we're going to be providing almost like a Yelp style, 
directory where you can see real reviews from entrepreneurs. What were they really like to work with? What were the acquisitions that they closed? Same with law firms, like what was their process? Really building this for entrepreneurs. So obviously there's a lot of really, really great brokerages in the industry today, but we feel this market is much bigger than just two or three big players. There's a lot of really, really, really great boutique M&A firms. And so we want to work with them, involve them in the community and really just build this for entrepreneurs. So if you want to sell your company, like using business apps as an example, I can go on to Microquire. I can connect all my metrics where if I don't have a VP of finance, I can connect Stripe or Chart Mobile or whatever I'm using for billing, my Google Analytics search traffic. If I need help with valuations, I can get that. All the resources that you would possibly need and then immediately start meeting buyers and then transact end to end on the platform without ever leaving. So I've bought and sold businesses, websites, SaaS, all the things from all the way from Flippa to forums that don't exist anymore. I've had uh, investment bankers giving me advice. I've worked with, you know, the main brokers in the space. And what I've seen is that like the smaller purchase price, the smaller transactions are the ones that tend to be simpler. You know, once you get into the millions, I mean, again, I've seen MBAs who have to go through the books to make sure that everything is is intact and that, that you know, you can hook Stripe up, but there might be anomalies there. Or maybe you have invoices that were paid via check, right? There, there's all these exceptions that come up in these complex transactions. What's your sense of, like, can that be automated? Or is that where you have to get someone involved, you know, whether it's through the marketplace you're looking to build or whether it's just bringing in outside help, much like a realtor. You know, I think of Redfin and Zillow, right? They're these big marketplaces. And then I think of a realtor. And realtors can come in and help you say, you know, this is what you need. Like, this is direct one-on-one advice to help you improve the value of the house. We're going to stage it. You need to get rid of all this stuff. You need to put this coat of paint on here and there. How do you how do you see MicroQuire fitting into that? Are you more like the Redfin Zillow? Where are you going to be? Because we're talking about the future now, right? We're not talking about today. Yeah, you nailed it. So we're building the Zillow of M&A. That's kind of been what we've been saying internally where, you know, what is your startup really worth? We're going to have data-driven valuations based on what we're seeing in the marketplace. You can connect your, you know, financials and we can give you a range based on what we're really seeing in the market. But yeah, like what you're describing is, you know, due diligence. Lots of those parts really can't be automated. Maybe they can. We're going to try. But yeah, you need someone to like really get books in order sometimes. Like when I sold business apps, half of the conversations was with my CFO. Like, do you have these financial documents in order? How many support tickets are you taking per day and how fast do you answer them? Even just doing technical due diligence and that sort of stuff. So getting help on all fronts, but then more importantly, just educating entrepreneurs on this. Like that's a big selling point of brokers is we're going to educate you on how to sell your business. But with MicroQuire, Our customer is not the buyer. Like we appreciate buyers, but we're not going to be the marketplace where, hey, come here and you can get SaaS companies at profit times, you know, three to four. We've mashed, we smashed down the price so we can sell this quickly. We're allowing founders to really empower themselves. So when they go to the table with buyers, they're at an advantage because right now they're at a disadvantage, both from an educational standpoint and experience standpoint. So We really want to help entrepreneurs get the highest price for their company from the best possible pool of of potential buyers. And then if they do need those additional resources, like they need even just light advice. 
So you'll be able to hire M&A advisors for 10 hours of guidance. So if you don't want to pay a 15% commission, you can hire someone for 10 hours, 5,000 bucks, just a few questions. If you want someone to run your whole process, manage all your negotiations, depending on the size of the transaction, you'll be able to do that too. But I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, when you get into due diligence, requests are made and you know those things, they're hard to automate. You know, you can't just have like, hey, this company is absolutely perfect. And even if you do automate it, I would want to verify it. And I would probably hire someone to help me with due diligence on that. So, you know, other things we're, we're looking at is escrow. We think there's room to improve that as well. You know, we're bringing legal counsel in-house just to provide legal counsel for entrepreneurs as well, looking to sell, looking for light advice or just package services. So, Got a lot of work to do. I mean, that's, that's that's probably a short story. So to date, you launched uh, in January 2020, which is about 18 months ago. What metrics or numbers can you share in terms of how many companies have sold through microacquire, dollar amounts, just whatever you know, whatever it is you're sharing in public? Yeah, over 300 acquisitions, over 100 million dollars in closed deal volume. We have about 70,000 registered buyers, adding about 300 plus daily. We're in the top 4,000 in visited websites in the world. So we surpassed Flippa, I believe. Don't quote me on that, it might change. And I love Flippa too. I mean, I think they're a great marketplace and they, they serve millions of entrepreneurs. So another thing I'd like to add too is, you know, we do have competitors in this industry, but really we're just building another option for entrepreneurs to sell their business. But yeah, we see acquisitions almost every other day. I get emails saying like, hey, I bought a company for 100K, 50K, a million dollars, like $2 million. So it's been really rewarding just being able to help entrepreneurs in that way. Because when those acquisitions happen, like that's how weddings get paid. That's like how down payments on houses get paid. That's how debt gets paid. That's how like the exit is such an important part of the founder's journey. And there's never been a modern marketplace for M&A. And that's what we're looking to build at MicroGuire. Yeah, that's a trip. I mean, 300 is a, a lot in, in 18 months. I'm actually surprised that, that it's that high. How did you, oh, I'm going to take a step back. When I first heard about MicroGuire, and I don't, it was sometime last year, and I don't remember when it was, but I remember thinking, this isn't going to work. Okay, I'm the perpetual skeptic, right? This has already been done. Like, Flippa's out there. There's all these other things that do this. How can he possibly get a two-sided marketplace to work, you know, in, in a space where there's already a lot of competition? So how did you kickstart this? Like, how did you get enough businesses on the site to make any buyers want to sign up? And how did you then get buyers to come? I mean, that you you are, to date, aside from the funding we're about to uh, mention that, that you raised uh, in the past couple of weeks here, but you had effectively bootstrapped it or self-funded it yourself, as far as I know. So how did you possibly get both sides of that marketplace to get to critical mass? Yeah, so the first thing I did was opened a pretty large, cold outbound email campaign to just seed the marketplace, just educate both buyers and sellers, and then just got on the phone with a lot of seed investors, angel investors, VC funds, to see the buyer side and then also corporate dev teams just to gather feedback and then also reach out to a ton of different startups, seeing if they would be interested in potentially listing and selling. And that was the initial seed. And then once we launched on MicroQuire, it just exploded from there. We saw thousands of users based off of that and it's kind of just been 
up and to the right ever since. And I'm sure we'll go through some bad times. You know, this isn't my first startup, so I understand things are going well right now, but we still have so much work to do and so many things that we want to do and so many things that we want to innovate on and so many problems that we want to solve that, again, everyone, I I should also add, everyone I hired for MicroQuire was with me for the acquisition of business apps. So my VP of product, my VP of engineering, my CFO, my VP of marketing, my old um, creative designer starting next week, and she's awesome. So we're basically building the platform we wish we had when we when we went to sell business apps. So initially seeding the market, just short answer there, which is a ton of hustle, just basically getting on the phone to people. And this is something that I think a lot of founders are scared to do, like actually talk to people, actually get feedback. But in the early days, it's the most critical thing you can do. I'm still on live chat, not as much nearly. I'll only come in if it's like a question, but I answered every single email. I took every single call. I answered every single live chat. I sat on that thing sometimes to like 10 just to really figure out product market fit. Like what metrics do you need as a buyer to feel comfortable potentially being interested in acquiring this business? Like how can we make this marketplace better and how can we build this for the startup community? So I would say that was probably the main thing is just speaking with people who were already in the startup ecosystem and who are already actively either looking to sell, have previously acquired companies or had previously sold companies. And I talked to him about all the current players in the market today. What what do they like about them? What do they not like about them? And I took all that in and built the marketplace around that. Yeah, what I want uh, you know listeners to take away is I get emails, I get conversations, private emails, and public emails to the questions at startups or rest of us line here about starting two set of marketplaces. And what most people don't realize is the sheer amount of hustle that it takes to get that kickstarted. That it's not about, I'm going to do some SEO here, I'm going to launch on Product Hunt and Reddit or Hacker News or whatever and build that marketplace. You have to have enough of both sides in place already that it makes sense to then launch on Product Hunt, you know, which is what you did. And the cold emailing, the cold calling, the dozens, if not hundreds of conversations is often what it takes to get a business that once you build that flywheel, as you said, you know, it sounds like it's just started to spin. Product Hunt got it spinning and then more and more people hear about it and it becomes a virtuous cycle. But when you're starting out, there is no there's no cycle to it. There's no movement. And so congratulations on your fundraising. This is completely coincidental, but you and I've been trying to get you on the show for a while and finally our schedules met up. And last week I see MicroQuire raised $2.8 million, $22 million post money valuation. So you're going big with this thing. And I can tell by your vision and you know the way you've been talking about it. So my question here is, how is this a venture scale business if you're not taking a percentage of this sale. Because when I think you're at a 22 million post, so for investors to be happy, you're selling for at least 100 million. I'm guessing at that point, they're not going to be happy because that's only a 5x return. I don't know much about the firm that's investing, but usually they want at least a 10x and probably want to shoot for half a billion billion dollar. To get to that amount, you're going to need to get to what, a fifth or a tenth of that in revenue. So we're talking, you're looking to get to 50 to 100 million in, in revenue. I'm just ballparking. You have not told me this. I don't know any insight, but this is just how the venture world works. Right now, I believe your only revenue stream is that you charge buyers $290 a year, right? To be on the like the premium list. So where else is money going to come from? The, you know, the buyer list pool in the world just isn't big enough at 290 a year to get to 50 million or 100 million in revenue. So where else is that revenue going to come from as you scale? Yeah, great question. So 
completely agree we're not going to build under or $500 million business off of premium buyer subscriptions. But the goal is, so we have an M&A directory that we're releasing. So these M&A advisors are going to be charging for their services, whether that's a 5% success fee, 7%, maybe it's 500 an hour, whatever it may be. And we're going to take a commission off of their commission. So we're going to be focusing on bringing in as much supply because most business brokers, again, like I'm a big proponent of talking to customers before you build this out. And what I learned was most business brokers spend half their time on sales and marketing. And so we have thousands of startups on MicroQuire right now that could potentially opt in and hire them for their services. And so for that referral, we're going to take commission off of that. And so once you add that up, especially as deal sizes increase, the numbers get pretty interesting. And then we have other items that we're, that we're lining up in terms of revenue streams. One is if you're an M&A advisor or broker, you're going to be able to list on MicroQuire. And then we don't know the fee structure on that yet. These are just ideas. But not only can we help, we want to help brokers succeed as well. There's thousands of boutique M&A advisors, you know, business brokers managing just a handful of deals. They're not a big firm where you just get a junior associate. You're working directly with basically a badass who just handles deals very selectively. And you'll be able to hire that person and whatever their rate is, you'll pay that. And then we'll take a referral commission based off of that. And then on top of that, we're looking to bring in as many brokers and M&A advisors as possible to allow them to list their deals on MicroQuire to increase supply even further. So again, don't know what that model looks like, but that's the, the two new revenue streams that we're going to be introducing. And that also applies to legal services as well. So all the additional third-party services, all optional. Again, you could still sign up on MicroQuire, sell your company completely free, never hire a broker, handle the process entirely yourself. We're still going to innovate on things like, again, valuations, escrow, being able to transfer the assets is a huge headache. How can we improve upon that? We're thinking big on all those items. Another revenue stream is is lending. So we've secured, I can't say who, but we secured a partnership with a startup that's recently raised, I think like $300 million, and they're looking to finance SaaS acquisitions with over a million in revenue. And so that's another line item of potential revenue where we can help entrepreneurs expand the buyer pool. So more buyers can now afford businesses because they have financing available. And then we take a commission off of that referral as well. So those are just three, but we're going to be thinking of more. Just how can we add so much value to entrepreneurs when selling their company? They'll happily pay for these services. So they're not released yet, but that's kind of in in the works. So a short summary is third-party services and by referring those third-party services, we're going to be taking a referral fee from those. Got it. So as we move towards wrapping up, I have one final question for you. You've been building this business now for 18 months through a pandemic, built a two-sided marketplace essentially from scratch. What's been the hardest thing about doing that for you personally? I mean, big fan of of bootstrapping, big fan of really capital efficient businesses, but it's it's hard. I mean, I was working 4 a.m. to 11 p.m. at night, family responsibilities included. I take out the trash and pick up dog poop every Thursday, do the dishes. Those are my chores around the house. 
So I was just, I believed in this. And so that was probably the hardest part was just this sheer amount of work to get this off the ground. I think that's a lot of thing. That's a big thing that I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand is it takes a lot of work to get a startup going. And so I put in that work and I'm fortunate to have a team to help me work more on the business rather than it in the business. But short answer is working in the business, blessing and a curse, you know, that really allowed me to really figure out a model that allows us to move up market to really aggregate this industry, provide more value to entrepreneurs looking to sell their companies. But it was a ton, a ton of work. So I, I would say just you know, working in the business was definitely the hardest thing. And I still do quite a bit. And that's, that's my big goal. I literally, before this podcast, I was talking to my team. I was like, guys, like I'm overwhelmed. And I tweeted something out like a CEO should not be working more than hundred hours a week, like delegate, fire yourself from everything, enable your team to succeed. So that's, that's been the hardest part. So probably within a month or two, that'll be lessened. But, but yeah, long story short, working in the business doing everything from marketing, product management, customer support, sales, like everything. That was hard. Yep. You got to wear a lot of hats in the early days. So it's a ton of hard work. Well, sir, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. If folks want to keep up with you, you are A. Gazdecki on Twitter. It's A-G-A-Z-D-E-C-K-I. And of course, microacquire.com if they want to see what you're up to. Thanks again for joining me. Yeah, Rob, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks again for joining me today. If you want to connect on Twitter, I'm at Rob Walling, and this podcast is at Startups Pod. And every week we actually tweet a cool little video clip of the guest and I, usually it's 60 to 90 seconds taken from the episode. You can check that out if you would uh, like it or share it. I would always appreciate it. I'm definitely looking to get the word out about Startups for the Rest of Us, and any help you can lend is always appreciated. Thanks again for joining me this week, and I'll be back in your earbuds again next Tuesday morning.